So how many of you have a room in your house that looks like this? This. Not that one. This one. Yeah. How many of you have a room in your house that looks like that? Anyone? And how many of you feel like the lady in that picture when you sit in said room? Yeah. Uh, well, this is the kind of the time of year, shortly after the uh, first of the year. We're getting close to spring. We hope spring ha- lands on a weekend this year. Um, and uh, it's just kind of that time of year, right, where you start to purge, try, try to start to get rid of some of the stuff that's in your house and in your life so you can make room for things. And uh, the thing with clutter, though, um, the, the reason it's just uh, so it gives us such headaches and just frustrating is that when we have clutter and I'm sure it's none of the adults, it's just the kids. Right. Um, they have clutter in their bedrooms. Um, but the problem with clutter is that if you have all this clutter in your room, you can't see the room for what it's supposed to be. Right. You can't see it for it's supposed to be a dresser. And actually, there's carpet underneath all those clothes. Right. And there is a bed that you can get in. And a made bed is so much better to get in at night than an unmade bed. Right. That's the way I feel anyway. Anyway, um, so all this clutter. And so it keeps us from being able to see things how they should be. But the other thing with clutter is it becomes this huge obstacle. Right. Um, So when you're 54 years old, as men do, uh, we get up in the middle of the night 15 times to do. You know what? I'm not going to say it on camera. Um, And so when we need obstacles out of our way, when we're heading to said room that we're going to. Um, And my wife and I decided to buy an electric blanket this year to replace our old one that wasn't working. And the electric blanket, it's like uh, what's warm. It's wonderful. But it's got these cords that I want the controller right here. It's got the cords. And so getting in and out of bed is like. Running, I don't know, the 100 meter hurdles like, you know, you, you got to go. And so you're trying to think and you're tripping over. And so clutter does that. It becomes obstacles for us. Well, there's a website um, that I found called step by step Some of you may want to write this down. I'm not going to point out who, but some of you may want to. I don't know. Um, step by step And here's the advice that they give to you. First of all, if you want to declutter your house, you need to make a plan. Sounds like a good idea, right? If we need to declutter something, it's always good uh, to have a plan. Secondly, they said you need to ask the hard or in parentheses, they put maybe not so hard questions. Do I want this thing? Do I need this thing? Do I use this thing? Do I like this thing? Right. Those seem like very good questions to ask for all this stuff that you need to purge or maybe declutter your uh, house with. Now, who's getting the elbow more right now, the husbands or the wives? All right. Just curious. Third, they said, step by step, you need to make a plan. Say, okay, we're going to lay all the stuff out and then we're going to ask those four questions and then we're going to have a plan for where the stuff goes that we don't need. And then finally, and uh, the next step, they say, is to do one room at a time. Right. That's good advice instead of, um, you know, how you you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Right. And so it's good to take your whole house and say, I'm going to take one room at a time and then we'll go through and purge and declutter those things. And then finally, they said, um, in order to declutter and to do it well, you need to overcome the obstacles. You need to overcome the obstacles. And the two biggest obstacles that they mentioned are guilt and fear, guilt and fear, Um, guilt, because you think, okay. I feel like I need to get rid of, to get rid of this thing, but I just bought it a week ago, right? Like I didn't need it, didn't want it, don't know why I got caught up in the rush of the moment, bought this thing, and I don't need it. Or you know what, great grandma passed that along to us, and I don't feel like I can get rid of it, even though it matches nothing and it has no purpose in my house whatsoever. I feel guilty for getting rid of that thing. And so to really declutter, we have to overcome this guilt that we might have about letting something go. And then the whole fear thing is, what if I need it after I get rid of it? 
Right. Uh, what if somebody asks about it when I what if I regift this thing because some and then my best friend says, hey, what'd you do with that label maker? I got you. And you're like, oh, I gave it I regifted it to some. Right. So there's this fear that comes in it um, with it as well. Well, obviously, I, I hope I'm getting to a point here. But the people of Israel, they had this clutter problem. They had this clutter problem. The people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, they had this cluttered problem in that their hearts were so cluttered, uh, be it by foreign nations that wanted to bring them in and embrace them and show them about their idols and their gods, uh, be it the confusion of, okay, we were enslaved and for hundreds of years and now God's going to hear our, our prayers and we're going and there's no food and there's no water and there's all kinds of things in their minds and their hearts that is keeping them from seeing the beauty for who God is. Because of all this clutter that's happening. And it also becomes obstacles for them. Many of them start to worship these other idols and worship these other gods because they're being tripped up by those things. And they need this big decluttering to take place in their lives if they truly are going to see God for who he, who he truly is. Well, we have three guys that we've talked about over the last few weeks in this little mini-series within our bigger series called Set Apart. And those three guys were Abraham, Moses, and David. Those are the, the guys that it seems like when we read the stories about them, there was something in their hearts and in their minds that the clutter wasn't at least as much. And sometimes the clutter was cleared out so they truly could see God for who he truly is. Let's look at uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we often will refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame. Um, people will ask, well, before Jesus died, how did people get to heaven? Like we talk about having a relationship with Jesus in order to get to eternity and to, and to be in heaven. What happened with people before that? And Hebrews 11 tells us that people in the Old Testament were and under the Old Covenant. They were justified by their faith. They were justified by their faith. Their faith was so great in who God was that that's how they were made right before him. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us a list of these Bible greats and all the things that they accomplished by their faith. In Hebrews 11:10, talking about Abraham, the author writes, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words... At this time, when God called Abraham away from his family to go to this land that he would sojourn in, right, that he would just travel around in, with no descendants yet, that God was going to make him a great nation. And his heart and his mind were so decluttered that he was able to not just see and listen to God and say, I'm going to trust his promise. He was able, even able to look past that and say, I'm looking forward to heaven. We think, how could he see that? It's because he had these clear this clear heart and these clear eyes to see who Jesus is. Verses 15 and 16 said, if they had been thinking of that land, talking about Abraham, uh, Isaac and Jacob, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, the one thing that may be difficult to hear when somebody passes from this life is the fact that when they go to be with Jesus, they would not want to come back. It kind of hurts us a little bit, right? Because, you know, grandma loves us. Grandpa loves us. They, of course, want to be. No, grandma and grandpa do love you, but they don't want to leave Jesus to come back to you, right? In fact, they'll just keep a place warm for you when it's your turn, um, but they don't want to come back. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're like, we could have returned. We don't want to return. God's got something much better in store for us. And again, because of their 
decluttered hearts and minds. They were able to see that and look forward to it. Well, how about Moses? In Hebrews eleven twenty six, it says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ. I mean, Jesus wasn't even walking the face of the earth yet. Yet Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Why was he willing to put up with those Israelites for all those years traveling across at 80 years old and for 40 years uh, putting up with these people? Imagine a trip to Disney World driving from here to there with, I don't know, three, five, seven year olds for eternity. Or I mean, for 40 years. How would that go for you? Yeah. You like that one? Happiest place on earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a nightmare to think about that. Moses was doing it 40 years. He's wandering around the wilderness, these people. And why would he put up with why at some point would he not say, you know what, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not I'm walking away from this stuff because he was looking forward to something so much greater. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses. Uh, so I had a seminary professor that would say, if it's repeated, it's important. Okay, in Deuteronomy 18, this is the message that God gave to Moses to give to the Israelites. In verse 15, it says this, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then in verse 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And who is he talking about? Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene physically, right? Moses is talking about him, saying, God told me, guys, he's going to raise up a prophet. He's going to raise up somebody who's going to be better, who's going to lead his people, Israel. Now, how would Moses and Abraham be able to see? How would they know this? Because they had a decluttered heart being focused on who God is. And then we get to David. There's a uh, book in Second uh, Samuel chapter six. Chapter Second uh, Samuel chapter six. I just mixed all those words up. Second Samuel chapter six uh, goes something along these lines. David had just defeated the Philistines, and he had just also taken um, he had taken uh, uh, Jerusalem. All right, so that was going to be the headquarters for all things Jewish people. So he's moving everything to Jerusalem, but there's one thing that was missing in Jerusalem. You know what that one thing was? The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, he wanted the Ark there. Why would you want the Ark there? Because God instructed them, uh, build this Ark. This is going to be how I meet with my people. Right. This is they would see it as God is dwelling with us in this Ark of the Covenant. That's how important this thing was. And it was not at Jerusalem. And so he sent and they said, all right, we're going to move this to Jerusalem. And they were coming into town and they thought they were following all the rules And uh, they were dancing and they were celebrating. They were worshiping God as they came. And one of the oxen started to trip. And then poor Uzzah put his hand out to hold it up. And what happened to him? He died. Dropped dead right there. Now, one of the um, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls says that because his heart um, was not good. Right. It was the irreverence, I think, is the word it used, the irreverence that he used when he reached out to grab it. We think uh, at least he was keeping it from falling. But God's like, no, his anger burned against Uzzah and he actually died right there on the spot from trying to keep it from falling. Well, this angered David that he would die for doing that, the Bible tells us. But it also brought the fear of God to David in a whole new level. It said that he feared God. And so now. We're trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. It's fallen over. Somebody reaches out to stop it. Drops dead. Do I want this thing near me? Right? 
Do I want this power line that's uncovered and unprotected near my home? Right. I mean, it was like, I don't, I don't know about this. And so they actually steered it away to somebody else's home. Right? <laughs> He's like, let's kind of take this. Home. It's closer. Let's just let's put it there. And guess what? That guy's house started to be blessed like no other. It was crazy. He was being blessed so much that word got back to David and David's like, well, I kind of want God's blessing. <laughs> and so they said, all right, let's come up with a different plan. And so the different plan was we're going to go. We're going to move the ark. We're going to follow all of God's rules for handling the ark. And uh, we're going to stop. I think it's like every six steps we're going to stop and offer a sacrifice. And then David was dancing and worshiping and praising. Um, and it just so happened he was doing it all half naked, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but I have to tell you. When I read that about David, this is kind of a side note, okay? I think, what would it take me to worship God in that same way? We sang a song earlier about raising your hands, and uh, I couldn't help but want to raise my hands. And I kind of wanted to look around just so I could shame you for not raising your hands, but that's not the right thing to do, right? (laughs) But I think, do we connect to worship in the same way? That we would be willing to dance around crazy, as we're going to see in a second, that his wife would even call him out and say, man, you look like a fool out there. Are we willing to worship God in such a way that everybody will look at us and say, you are a, you look like a fool out there. And you say, I don't care, because this is the God that created me, loved me, sent his son to die for me. Man, I, I hope that in your heart, I don't know, however it plays out to you, no dancing half naked in the church next Sunday, okay? Um... But I hope and pray that our worship just becomes so engaged with who God is and what he's done for us that we won't be able to help just emotionally to connect with whatever words we're singing and whatever words we open up, because that's how awesome and powerful God is. And so David is coming in, dancing, and every six steps offering a sacrifice. No offering sacrifices next Sunday either, okay? And he's bringing it, he's bringing it up to Jerusalem, and they get there, and his wife, uh, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, looks out and sees David. And so uh, David gets into town, and uh, he blesses everybody, gives food out, starts handing out food to everybody. This is a great day. This is an awesome day that the Ark of the Covenant is here in Jerusalem. And he goes up to his own home, and his wife says... You look like a fool out there. All these servant girls watching you half naked dancing around. And David, it doesn't seem like a very Christian thing what he said, but it must have been justified because of what happened to Michael afterward. But he's like, you're just basically upset because God took the throne from your family, Saul, and he gave it to my family. And he talked about how his family is being holy and honorable. But anyway, Michael wouldn't have kids the rest of her life. And so that's how the ark came to be in Jerusalem. When we go to chapter 7, all right, so keeping in mind that the ark is now in Jerusalem, that David is settled, he's got peace around him, and thinking about this decluttered heart and mind. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, all right? I promise I'll do this quickly. First three verses read like this. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David was feeling convicted about his place versus God's place. You can't blame him, can you? I mean, he took all this effort to bring the Ark of the Covenant, this place where they meet with God, to bring it up to Jerusalem. And David, no doubt, has probably this uh, palace that he's living in with 
27 bedrooms and 58 bathrooms and not enough people to probably even use four of them. No, I take that back. He had a lot of concubines. Anyway, rewind all that. Anyway, he probably had this great big palace. I kind of feel like looking at the house I live in and then going to Torch Lake and looking at these million dollar homes, right? Have you toured any of those? Yeah, those are just absolutely beautiful. You look and think, what in the world does that guy do for a living, right? Or that lady do for a living? Um, that's, I think that that's probably the kind of palace David lived in. The most, the beautiful, everything. And now he's looking out his window and he sees the Ark of the Covenant. The thing that he just danced like a fool in front of everybody, worshiping God with his whole heart. And it's sitting in a pup tent out back. And he looks and thinks, this isn't right. And he was convicted by that. He's like, God should have a better house than I do. He's God, right? I need to build this. And so Nathan the prophet, and we don't know if Nathan inquired of God or he just had a weak moment or if he's just like, well, I don't really hear a voice from God. So David, you know, go ahead and do what's on your heart. But David was convicted about his place versus the place that God was in. All right, the next few verses. But that same night, all right, so Nathan had said, David, go ahead. But that same night, the Lord came to Nathan And he said, go and tell my servant, David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I've moved with all people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying this seems like a really long run on sentence. Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's message to David was that his place was bigger than a space. His message to David through Nathan was, listen, I've never asked for that. David, why is it that you feel like you need to build me something like you think you can contain me? Like there's anything that a man could build that would be big enough for God. You ever tried to build something big enough for God? Yeah, I don't think it would probably work very well. But that's what they were trying to do. He was like, he's in this ark and he should have this big, beautiful. And so perhaps he should have something bigger. And God's like, David, what what's inspiring you to do this? Do you really have a decluttered heart to see me for who I am? Because if you really did, it seems like you would inquire first because I'm not going to be held in by four walls. Just like this church building, as beautiful as it is. Is this really the church? Ah, The church is the people, isn't it? The church is the people. And so God is not going to be contained by this. God lives inside of his people in our hearts. And so it's not about this place. His space is so much bigger than that. The next few verses. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So his um, dream to or his message to Nathan that night goes on. says, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you want and have. Cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So God expresses to David that he's the builder and he's going to make David a house. He expresses to David through Nathan, listen, I never asked for that. In fact, David, let me tell you about who I am. I'm going to make your people a dwelling place. 
I'm going to make, I'm going to plant your people. I'm going to plant you in a place where enemies will no, bother you no longer. I'm going to put you in a peaceful place where nobody's going to attack you and it's going to be the home of all homes. And what was he talking about? I dare say he was talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity. David, let me tell you about the future. You're trying to box me in, but I won't be boxed in. In fact, you're trying to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to be a house like you've never experienced before. The last four or five verses read this, this way. When your days are fulfilled, are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Who's he talking about? There you go. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. In those verses, God teaches David about the one who will take his place. He talks to David about the one who will take his place. Now, it's easy to read those verses and think, well, it sounds like he's talking about Solomon because he's talking about uh, one that's coming after him, which Solomon was. It talks about the iniquities. And we know uh, Jesus was perfect, of course. But then he talks about the stripes of men. And what did Jesus do? By his stripes, we are healed. And again, I would say Jesus, he's referring to Jesus taking the sins of his people on him. And so this forever thing that God is talking about to David is the line that will lead to Jesus, who will forever be the king of the Israelites and forever be the king of the world. Psalm 110 reads like this. This is David writing. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And this psalm is mentioned 28 times in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. I like to think, and I don't know. That David wrote this psalm after this conversation that God had with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I like to think that after God shared with David, I know you want to build me a home, but I can't be contained by space. In fact, I'm going to build you a home. And let me tell you about the king of that home. The king of that home is going to rule forever. I'm going to plant my people forever in a heavenly home. I like to think that in response to that, David wrote that psalm saying what? I know who Jesus is. He's going to sit at the Father's right hand. And he's going to rule forever and ever. And he's letting all of Israel know about who Jesus is. Trying to help declutter their hearts and their minds to be able to see Jesus. In order to see heaven. John fourteen two and 3 read this way. 
Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those who have faith, like the Bible greats. And the key to entrance is making our space his place. I think the problem that we have in our world today is there's so much clutter in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Everything around us is just clutter. Keeping us from seeing how awesome and beautiful that our holy God truly is. The world wants to put all of this stuff in our, in our way. They want to try to persuade us to come look at this idea or this way of thinking or this thing over here. And, you know, um, you can have both of them. So why don't you put one foot over here and one foot over here? And we start to get this cluttered mind and these cluttered thoughts about what exactly it means to surrender to a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to truly surrender to him and only look and see him and see the path that he has set out for us as opposed to seeing all the different winding crooked paths that the world wants to put before us? They make it look broad and wide and nice and cruise control. And that's how they want it to look. But the fact is, it's just clutter. It's just clutter. And if we're trying to see God and we have all this clutter in our life, we're not going to see him for the awesome, powerful, wonderful God that he truly is. And if we have all this clutter in our mind and all this clutter in our heart, we're not going to see who Jesus is and what he truly did for us on the cross. We won't truly see why David would dance around what his wife even thought was very foolish looking, dancing and worshiping before God. We're not going to fully understand that if we have a cluttered heart and a cluttered mind looking at this story. It's only when we can look at this story and thinking clearly about who God is and what he did for us through Jesus that we can look at this and say, man, I wish I could worship like that. I wish I could connect emotionally and with everything that I am to God in such a way that when I come to worship or when I'm worshiping at home or on a hillside somewhere that I'm just pouring myself out before God. We won't be able to understand that unless we remove the clutter of this world and this life so that we can see clearly. And all that clutter becomes obstacles for us to walk this path that the Bible tells us only few will find that leads to eternity. That it leads to eternity. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for those who have faith, like all these Bible greats, to have faith in him and who he is. And the key to getting there is making our space, our heart, our mind, everything about us, making them his place so that we can truly see who he is. If you're here as a Christian today. I think the challenge for us every day is to say, all right, what's the world trying to sneak in? What's Satan trying to creep in there to put in front of me so I stumble? Or the thing he's trying to sidetrack me with, who he's trying to cloud up my vision with. What is that thing that I need to remove from my life so I can see clearly? And if you're here today, and I don't know if there's anyone here today that hasn't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But if that's you today, it's hard to tell sometimes that you're living a cluttered life. Because it seems like the path you're going on may seem like it's okay. But I'm telling you, it's just, it's just noise. It's just noise that leads to nowhere. When Jesus is offering you a path and offering you hope, and he's offering you something that you can see clearly to see who he is and how awesome he is, that leads to eternity. The same eternity that he told Moses about, that he told Abraham about, that he told David about, is there for us to see and experience as well.
Let's declutter our lives. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for leading us. Thank you for giving us your word that we can read and understand and see how you led Abraham, Moses, and David, and how you walked them through this uh, path that was troubling at times and difficult at times, but you allowed them to see who you were and to see what really was awaiting for them in the future, that they would keep their eyes focused on you. And Father, I pray that we would be the same. Pray, Lord God, that you would help us to declutter our lives and see you for who you are, a wonderful, awesome, powerful God who created us and loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. May we have clear hearts as we see you for who you are. Remove the obstacles from our life. Give us strength to do so, Father. May we get over the fear and the guilt that comes with pushing things out so that we can clearly see who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.